Father, we just thank you so much um, for the opportunity to get to come before you, Lord, and just praise you. You're present in this place as welcome and so appreciated, Lord. Um, Father, I just ask you to be with us as we go about our day-to-day, Lord, and just be with Steve as he comes up to speak um, words that are not from his lips but from your heart, Lord. Be in everything that he says, Lord, and just bless us today. We praise you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. You all may be seated. Wow, that was great, Van. Thanks. Morning. My name's Steve Wallen, and I'm one of the elders here, and I'm, we're really glad you're here. Um, and before we get started, I just want to take a minute and linger in that song for a minute. That was that was really incredible. Um, a lot of times we come in here and we love hearing the music, don't we? Because the band, I mean, let's face it, the band just really rocks, don't they? I mean, they really... <laughs> Chad Jackson, I don't know if you can hear me, but that guitar was sick, man. That was... That was incredible. And we come in here and, and the people who come up on this stage and sing are so talented and we're just, we get so excited about who's going to be up on stage singing this week and I love hearing the music and for many of us it's the highlight of the service. It's the highlight maybe even of our weekend is just to hear the music. But a lot of times it's for the wrong reason. And see, for those of you who are new to Genesis, maybe you're here for the first time just checking us out. Maybe you don't know God at all, um, or you don't really know what you believe about him. We're so glad you're here. We're glad you chose to spend your Sunday morning with us. And, and we hope that, you know, over time that we'll be able to to, to show you and, and to, to just tell you about what a real relationship with Jesus looks like. But for those of us who have been coming here for a while and have been experienced, for those of us who, who call Jesus Christ our Savior, that song is such a great reminder to us that we have a Savior who can move the mountains. And maybe you come to this place this morning and, and, and you're in a really bad place because you've got a lot of mountains in your life. I mean, maybe there's that mountain of bills that's piling up over in the corner or there's that um, mountain of uncertainty around your job right now or there's that mountain that's growing between you and your spouse or maybe there's that mountain that your kids are failing in school or they're failing at life or whatever and, and you've got all these mountains that are closing in and surrounding you. Isn't it comforting to know this morning that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ that can move those mountains? Isn't it comforting to know that we've got a Savior who is mighty to save? I mean, for those of you out there who are just checking out God, and I know there are some of you here, um, you need to know something. Or maybe, maybe you're not just checking it out. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and you've been coming to church for a long time, and maybe you've been at Genesis for a while, but... It's really just out of habit. I mean, church is what you do on Sunday mornings, but you've forgotten about that relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've, maybe you've been coming here for a long time and, and you've been hiding for a while, or maybe you've been coming here and, and you just you really aren't really sure what you believe because of all the mountains in your life. You need to know this. You need to understand this. Everybody in this church, everybody in this place is in need of a Savior. You might look at us and think that, that, oh, he's got it all together, or she's got it all together, or, or because of what we say to you, or what we look like up on stage, or, or the things we say, or the things we sing. But you need to know the Bible tells us that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, that his standard is perfection, and none of us can achieve that on our own. And so we need a Savior. And so if we're going to choose a Savior, why not choose, as the song says, the author of salvation, right? The one that created salvation, Why not turn to the one who is mighty to save? He can move the mountains. He's mighty to save. Do you believe that this morning? Is that incredible? Is that great that we get to serve that same God? And so 
this morning we're going to continue in our series called Advance. And um, Advance has nothing to do with the fact that we are advancing out into the chairs. Although, what do you think of the new stage? Is this pretty cool? I don't, I don't know if it's, uh, we'll see if you get used to it or not. It's kind of weird being out here and I don't know. We'll see. But it's called Advance because um, Paul uh, Mumal last week read, a, read a, a, a verse from the book of Acts, Acts 6-7. And it's talking about the early church. And it says, because of what the disciples did because of the work that was being done in the early church, that the word of God spread rapidly throughout the land. In other words, that the kingdom advanced. And that's where we get the idea for this series. And as we look at ways today to serve inside the church, I want to start at the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bible, if you open up to Revelation chapter 19, we're going to start at verse 6. Revelation, anybody know where Revelation is? Now it's not at the back, it's at the end. At the end, Revelation is at the end. So if you open up your Bible to the maps, make about two pages to the left, you'll be at Revelation 19, and we'll start at verse 6. It says, Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder, a very loud noise, in other words. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Let's pray before we do anything else. God, um, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that we've got a place to go where we can read about you and and, um, just really hear direction for our lives from you. I thank you that you are mighty to save and that you have uh, reached down to each and every one of us and offered that this morning. And I just pray that uh, in the few minutes we have together this morning that you would uh, take my words and make them useful for each and every person in here. In Jesus' name, amen. So this scripture describes the church as the bride of Christ. So as we go through today and think about the church as a bride, I just wanted to put some images in your head of what a bride looks like. Think about all the weddings you've been to. All the guests describe the bride. She's lovely. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. When everyone at the wedding is gathered in the church and the bridal bridal march turns up tempo, the whole congregation stands and turns around to watch her enter the room in all her splendor. You know, she's so beautiful. She's so gorgeous that the mothers in the room cry and all her sisters cry and the Families cry and the friends cry and the groom standing at the front of the room gets weak in the knees and starts to faint because it's at this moment for the first time that he realizes that he's marrying way out of his league. She's the most gorgeous woman in the room and at that moment, she's the most beautiful woman alive. But she doesn't get there alone. Preparations for the wedding start months and often years earlier. Little girls buy hope chests and fill them with china and pictures clipped from magazines. Boys give promise rings, and young ladies visit other weddings and cut clippings of great hairstyles from celebrity magazines until by the time she reaches adulthood, the wedding 
is at the forefront of a young lady's mind. In fact, often the only missing piece by the time she's a young lady is a groom. Minor detail. So when that day comes, parents, friends, relatives, all work hard to make her look as gorgeous as she possibly can. Her friends give up their entire week or month even, and wear the most hideous hot pink and teal dresses with big poofy skirts and unflattering sleeves just to make her look even more beautiful. And on that day, everyone is taking pictures of the bride. And when you look back even years later at the wedding scrapbook, there will be three pictures of the groom, including the one where he's hoisted up on the shoulders of the groomsman and he looks totally terrified. There will be seven pictures of the flower girl and 126 pictures of the bride. And everyone, whenever they look at that scrapbook, all they'll talk about is how beautiful, how gorgeous the bride was. In our case, the church is the bride. Our job as believers in the church is to make her beautiful. Beautiful so that all that who encounter her will remember her beauty. Beautiful so that she's ready to do the work she has to do. Beautiful so that more people want to come to the wedding party. But most of all, beautiful for her groom. And this passage we read from Revelation describes the bride as being dressed in a bridal gown of bright and shining linen, a stunning dress. And it says that the linen is the good deeds of his followers. In one version it says, the linen is the righteousness of the saints. That linen, that that makes the bride beautiful, is the good deeds of his followers, in other words. Note that our good deeds can't save us. Thankfully, we already have a Savior who's mighty to save, right? We can't earn our way into salvation. But rather, this verse says that it's our good deeds, it's what we do for others while we're here on earth that makes the bride beautiful. It's our goodness, our righteousness, our acts of service that make the church shine. I want to point out something else from this scripture again. Look back at verses 9 through 10, if you have your Bible open there. It says, And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. Go to the next one, Dan. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, the angel, to worship the angel. But he said, no, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God. See, here's what I love about this passage. John, who's receiving this story, sees an angel of the Lord who is this incredible beautiful, terrifying creature we've been told. I mean, whenever we look at Scripture and we see somebody who sees an angel of the Lord, what do they do? They're, they're cowering in fear, right? Or if, if not, it's because the angel says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. I'm an angel of the Lord. I've got good news, right? So we see these, we think about these creatures and we think they must be terrifying to see. And so John, because he knows that Scripture tells us that, that God created man lower than the angels, right? So this angel is above him. And so because John, who's immortal at this point, falls down on his knees to worship this angel. And the angel says, no, 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 no. And he like starts to pull John up by his arm and he says, don't worship me. Worship him. Don't look at me. Look over there. Worship him. Worship him. I'm a servant. And then what's he say? I'm a servant just like you. And just like your brothers and sisters who follow Christ. So John gets this insight from the angel that goes something like this. Because you hold to the witness of Jesus, in other words, because you believe in Jesus, you are expected to be a servant to him. The angel says, all your brothers and sisters who hold to the witness of Jesus are servants. We are expected to be servants to Christ because he has saved us. We're also expected, this angel says, not to be servants 
to other things, including other things that we perceive as higher than we are or more important than we are. We're not to be servants to angels. We're not to be servants to a job. We're not to be servants even to any particular church or any ministry. We are to be servants to Jesus Christ, our Savior, who is mighty to save. And that includes going wherever he asks us, whenever he asks us, doing whatever he asks, even if it is huge and scary and life-changing, or it's small and menial, and we don't even understand how it can make a difference. We get this great picture of a servant's attitude from Jesus not long before he is to be crucified. He's gathered with his disciples right before the Passover. And in John chapter 13, we read about the evening meal. The evening meal had been served, Scripture says, and that uh, the, the group was ready to enjoy a nice leisurely meal together, one of the last that they would enjoy together. And right in the middle of this whole picture, John tells us that Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and began washing the feet of his disciples. I mean, he served them in a way that was small and menial, yet it it forever changes the way that we picture what it means to serve God and serve people. But in this passage from Revelation, the angel says that we are expected to be a servant, just like Jesus was a servant. But there's another reason we should serve too, and it's, in a way, it's kind of selfish, actually, and it's found in the book of Galatians. Galatians 6, verse 7 through 10, says, Do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good because at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Now, you've likely heard this verse before, or at least a version of it. You always harvest what you plant, or you reap what you sow, right? This passage says, if we only live to satisfy our sinful nature, in other words, if we only take time for ourselves, if we hide from our community of believers, if we refuse to take time to serve others, if we fail to use our gifts to build God's kingdom, only satisfying our sinful nature, if we do that, we will harvest the Bible says, decay and death. Not a bountiful harvest, not great fruit, decay and death. And and look at the promise in this verse. Sometimes we serve and we serve and we serve and it just doesn't seem to make a difference and we get so burnt out and nobody really appreciates it and nobody understands how hard we work. But the Bible gives us this promise. It says, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't you see that if we continue to do good at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. If we're sowing seeds for ourselves, we reap selfishness. But by sowing seeds for others, we reap generosity. We reap a spirit of selflessness. So when we serve, we are often the ones who benefit. Right? I mean, so many times we feel like we are going to bless somebody 
by serving them, right? I'm going to bless those kids by serving in the kids' ministry. I'm going to bless these people by serving them coffee. And I, I, I know I have the same attitude sometimes. I remember some, I've told most of you or a lot of you that I had this, this idea that I, this year we, when we went to Big Stuff in, in July, I didn't really want to go. This is a camp that we take the high school students to. I didn't really want to go, but I thought, you know, the kids really wanted me to go, and I'll just bless them by going. And, and we get there, and uh, I know. You know, that's how I think sometimes. So we get there, and, and the week is kind of tough, and the weather's terrible, and everything's going wrong. And, and the last day, um, we get to baptize seven kids in the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, God, why did you even let me be a part of this? I mean, how, how could I even think that it was going to be a blessing to these kids for me to go when I end up going, and I get this huge blessing by getting to baptize these kids and getting to be a part of their life that they'll always remember. When we serve, we are often the ones that ends up getting blessed. And Paul says in the last verse of that, that um, passage, he says, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith, especially in the church. So of all the places we can serve, Paul says, you need to serve in the church. Paul seems to be saying, whatever else you do, Serve in the church. So as part of this church, as part of this body, as part of the bride, where are our opportunities to serve? There are some highly visible places to serve at Genesis Church, and there are some that are nearly invisible. But I thought it might be valuable if we took just a couple minutes and talked about, outline the structure of our church, Genesis Church, and talk about where we might be able to serve in that church. First of all, you need to know that the church is led by a board of elders, Elders are the spiritual leaders of the church. I am one of the elders, as is Mike Jackson, Steve Davis, Mark Thomas, and now Paul Mumaw. The elders are listed on the back of the bulletin, if you ever have a question about that, by the way. The elders set the mission mission and vision of the church. Um, We help with teaching series. We help with major financial matters. We hire new pastors. Hopefully we don't have to do that again for a while. Um, Each of us has an area that we're responsible for, whether it's teaching or financial oversight, or outreach. Um, Paul is a member of the elder team, and he leads in that way. Uh, Paul is the only paid member of the board of elders. Uh, all, the, uh, all the elders are volunteered, and Paul's not paid for being an elder. He's paid for being the pastor. We're not paid for leading. We're not paid for teaching. It's all volunteer service. So do you know what the main role of pastors and elders is? Anybody? It's spelled out in the Bible in Ephesians 4. Uh, it says, he and the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens. That's Jesus, by the way. So that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So the main job for Paul, the main role for elders and teachers here at Genesis, is to prepare us, all of God's people, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's what we're here for, to prepare you, everyone else, and us in the church to do works of service. That's what the Bible tells us our role is. Now, besides the elders, we also have a board of directors. And this group of men, made up of Tom Anthony, John Elzinga, Dave Dawson, and Ben Krause, they help with running the business of the church. 
we meet monthly with the board of directors. The elders and board of directors meet monthly together. They make financial decisions. They make operational decisions. And they were instrumental in getting us in this building and keeping this place up and running. This building would be a smoking heap without our board of directors. You need to trust me on that. We also have many volunteer ministry leaders, like Gary and Angie Parker, who run our cafe, Gina Ryder, who leads the team at the Info Hub, Brian Winty, who leads the facilities team, Kurt and Alyssa Beard, who held up helping hands and our moving team and a lot of other things. And there are many, many others. I know I've left some of you out. But these are people who have chosen to wrap a towel around their waist and serve this church. They have a gift of coordinating, organizing, and leading volunteers. But beyond that, there are places for people who don't want to lead anything. They just want to help out. There are places for people who who love kids or can swing a hammer or know the fine art of operating a coffee pot or can smile and say hi to people as they walk in the door or make a meal for someone in need. All of these people are needed to make the bride beautiful. So how do you serve? How can you find out where to serve? 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All power and glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Each of you has been given a gift from uh from God to use for his glory. Now, last week, Paul talked about the difference between spiritual gifts and abilities. Do you remember that if you were here? An ability is something that you kind of you kind of learn. You could have it from birth or you maybe have to learn. You have to do training to do it. So an ability like playing the guitar is an ability. It's not a spiritual gift. But leading worship is a spiritual gift. So like um, speaking in front of people is not really a, a gift. It's an ability because there are lots of people who speak in front of people who don't have a, the spiritual gift of teaching, Right. Um, and so there's a difference between abilities and spiritual gifts. But when you become a believer, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, God gives you a spiritual gift or gifts that you can use to help build up his body. And each of you has been given a gift that it's intended for you to be used to help build up God's, uh, God's kingdom. Paul says, whatever those gifts that you have, Use them well to serve one another. Whatever your gifts, there's a place for you to serve. And maybe you sit here today and you think, I don't even know what my gifts are. Well, we can help you with that too. We've got an assessment that we call Uniquely You that is uh, an online assessment. And Courtney Coppett, Courtney, are you here today? Oh, I hate calling somebody out when they're not here. And everybody's going to say, hey, Courtney, we missed you on Sunday. Um, Sorry for that, Courtney, if you're listening. Uh, Courtney Coppett helps run our Uniquely You uh, ministry. And if you want to be part of that, if you want to find out what your spiritual gifts and your passions and abilities are, you can sign up for that and she'll walk you through that. And then she'll, you'll take an online assessment and she'll meet with you and, and help you, you know, decide where you might fit in ministry. But if you already know where your spiritual gifts are, there's a lot of places for you to serve. And we'll talk about that in a minute. In all of this, I want to make something perfectly clear, though. We are called to serve in the church. But God didn't save us so that we would serve in the church. He saved us because he loves us. We are his children and he, the God who created the universe, the God who can, who can move the mountains, the God who is mighty to save, the author of salvation, that very same God is crazy about every one of us. No matter where we are in our spiritual journey or no matter what we believe about him. And he will love you just the same 
even if you never serve his bride. His love for you will not change. But his love is extravagant. His mercy is abundant. His grace is never-ending. And in response to that kind of love, you know, his, his love is so immense that the Bible tells us that even while we were still sinners, that God reached down and grabbed us out of the pit we were in and saved us. And really, when faced with that kind of love, the only appropriate response is to fall down on our knees and say, God, I'm here for you. Just use me for whatever you would have me do. Use me to build your kingdom. I want other people to know about your great love, and so I'm going to choose today to wrap a towel around my waist and serve other people and serve your church. Help use me to build your kingdom. You know, this time when Jesus was was washing the feet of the disciples, this must have been a confusing time for, for them. You know, he started early on in his ministry making allusions to the fact that that one day he wouldn't be there anymore, uh, that he'd send a helper for them, that then he got even more specific and said, hey, there's a day coming when, when I'm going to die because of who I am. And even when he washed their feet, Jesus told his disciples, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but one day you will. <clears throat> but I think it finally hit home when Jesus spoke to his disciples and he used the analogy of a wedding to describe where he was going and what he was doing. And you can find it in John chapter 14. John 14, 1 through 3. Jesus says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. See, in those days when a man and woman became engaged, the groom's role was to go back to his father's house. Remember, this was an agrarian society. Uh, most of the men would have been uh, shepherds or farmers, and they would have had a huge, a lot of them, especially the wealthy ones, would have had a huge plantation or a huge pasture where they raised sheep. And so the families often lived together, extended families, three, four, five generations together. And so when a man got married, he would bring the, the bride back to his father's house to live there. And so when a bride and groom or when a man and woman got engaged... <clears throat> the groom's role was to go back to his father's house, maybe traveling for days, and prepare a room in that house for his bride to come and live. And then, only then, when the place was ready, and the bride was ready, the place was finished, would he come back and get her, sweep her off her feet, and marry her, and bring her to his father's house to live. And they would be together forever. I want you to think about this. <clears throat> Imagine your best friend your best unmarried friend, your best friend who's not your spouse maybe, called you and said, in one month I'm getting married and I want you to be a part of the wedding. You'd drop everything you had. You'd cancel all your plans. You'd do whatever you could to help. Well, Scripture tells us that that there's a wedding coming. Day's coming where the lamb will take his bride. And I'm here to tell you today, there is a wedding coming, folks. The Bible says it's going to be great. And then on that day, there will be no more sorrow and that God himself will wipe the tears from our eyes. And it's going to be a huge celebration at this wedding that's coming. And the Bible tells us that a lot of people are going to be there. It says that every tribe, every tongue, every nation are going to be represented. But we don't have to look very far to find people who won't be there. All over this city and all over this county, there are people who are hungry for truth. And just a few of us can't do all the work to reach them. But we, the church urgently need to reach them. 
And when we don't have room for people in this community to come in here and sit, and when we don't have a collection of committed people who are willing to wrap a towel around their waist and serve the church, we are literally telling the people out there that they can go to hell. People right here in Noblesville are dying every day who will never know the unending love of their Savior who can move the mountains, who is mighty to save. And that's why, starting around the first of the year, we will, by God's grace, be changing to two services on Sunday morning. In order to do that, though, we've got some spots to fill. We're going to need 120 new volunteer spots filled on day one. 123, actually, um, where one spot is one person, one week, one service. And so that means if you're willing to serve two weeks a month in a service, that's two spots that you can fill. We need 100 we have 100 volunteer spots available in Gen Kids where you can invest and build into the life of a child. We have 12 open spots for the host team and 8 open spots for the cafe where all you have to do is greet people and serve them and you get to meet lots of great new people every week. Three spots in the info hub, uh, same thing, where all you got to do is point people in the right direction. And in your bulletin you received today when you came in, there's an insert and it describes all of the volunteer opportunities that we have available at Genesis Church. And... Um, Maybe you can look at that and you can say, yeah, that's perfect for me. No, I'll never do that. Um, But maybe you need some help. And so there are going to be folks out at the Info Hub, I think, after the service where you can talk to about this. You're welcome to stop me, stop any of the elders, stop any of the staff and ask about this. Um, But we've got some spots that we need to fill because we want to be about the business of growing God's kingdom, of seeing his, his kingdom advance, of seeing his word spread here in this community, in this city, and in this county. Don't limit yourself. Some of these spots are Sunday morning spots, and you can only be one place at one time. I understand that. But some of them are not. Many of them, like helping hands, the moving team, the facilities team, they happen during the week, and several of them allow you to serve in a time that's convenient for you. In just a few minutes, we're going to dismiss for lunch, and uh, it'll be really easy to forget everything that was said this morning. But I don't want that to happen. And so please feel free to stop me, stop any of the leaders of these teams, stop any of the staff of the church. And talk about, let's talk about where your gifts might be a great fit to help grow God's kingdom. I want to close with this, and it's a, it's a question that we've talked about a few times from this stage, but it's one that we really want to use as a measuring stick for how we're doing. In his latest book called Pop Goes the Church, author and pastor Tim Stevens asked this question. If your church were to disappear tomorrow, would anyone even notice? I mean, think about that. Other than you know, the people meeting at Bob Evans now on Sunday morning instead of meeting here, other than the for rent sign on the side of the building, other than the 1115 traffic jam that's missing, if Genesis Church weren't here, would the community even notice? In other words, is our church making an impact in the community? Is this area right around us, is it different now than it would be if Genesis weren't here? See, here's our challenge. In this city, in this community... There's work to do, there are people to reach, and there are lives to affect. There's a bride to prepare. There's a wedding coming, folks, and we've we got to get ready. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you um, that you've put us in a place where we can serve. I know that uh, we are completely unnecessary to grow your kingdom. You could do it however you want, yet you choose to use us And because of your extravagant love for us and you reached down and saved us uh, in response to you this morning, we just want to say we want to be a part of what you want to be a part of. And so could you help us to see clearly what you'd have us do? 
how we can be a part of uh, making this kingdom advance, making your word spread throughout this community. That's what we want to be about, God. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.